Well, good morning. Good morning. If you can hear my voice clap one time. <laughs> it always works. It is good to see you. I'm glad you're here, First Baptist. And um, we got a lot going on, so I wanted to get us started. Um, Yeah, choir's coming up. They're going to be singing in just a second with us. And um, let me just um, call your attention to a couple things, okay? And um, we got to work on y'all's listening skills today. <laughs> At least you listen when I'm preaching, not when I do announcements. Huh? Hey, um, a couple things. This coming Wednesday night. <laughs> Come on, y'all. <laughs> This coming Wednesday night is business meeting. Um, no regular things for the adult classes. They won't be meeting, but the students and children's ministry, all that will still be the same. So please um, take note of that. You don't have to be a member of the church to attend the business meeting. Obviously, only members vote in that time, but we would love to have you. If you want to know about how our church runs, you can come and be a part of that. Um, You can't get the—y'all got quiet now. Can't get the choir. Um, Kim's going to announce something about the Kelly Mentor um, thing coming on in just a moment. Tickets go on sale for that. Um, the Valentine bag for our veterans is coming up. You, you can see the ministry there. Wellhouse and a well ministry, and Kim can tell you about that. If you're a member of First Baptist Church— and you have children who are in our kindergarten daycare, or you want to be um, your, your children in kindergarten daycare, you need to do two things. One, you need to call and make sure your child's on the waiting list. If they're already on the waiting list, you don't have to do that, okay? But there's a note here about pre-registration for members of First Baptist Church. Their children can be not grandparents, unless you're the custodial parent, okay? Members of First Baptist Church, children can register, and you can see that. So are you ready to worship today? I'm going to give you a chance to fellowship now. Why don't you stand up and greet one another? We're glad you're here. You had an earring for a second. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> What's going on? How are you? Just scan the QR code right where you are and um, with your phone or your iPad, and it will pull up some things. Um, you can also do it on the back uh, of, the, of the worship guide. We'll have more to say next week about the Wednesday night meals. They don't start this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday they'll kick off. So we're glad you're here. We're going to start with a call to worship, and then, um, then we'll continue in worship with a reading of Scripture. But um, let's pull this up in it's out of the Psalms. I forgot to do it last week. Let's do it as a responsive reading, if you don't mind. I'll read everything, but um, you read the for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, so you, you respond with that. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this time of worship. I thank you for the excitement and the fellowship that's going on even before the service starts. We want to turn our eyes toward you now. As we read the scripture and hear what it says, speak to our hearts. 
as we sing, speak to us. As we come to your word, speak to us, Lord. We need to hear from you. So please manifest yourself among us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue with our scripture reading. You know what, John's our, is someone supposed to read for John? He's in Cambodia, so he cannot read today. I'll read it, okay? Um, read along with, this is out of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Continue to worship. We want to start. I'm going to read just a little bit of Psalm 150. This first song, I think you're just going to love. It's a new song, and it just talks about praising the Lord on the mountains, praising Him in the valleys. And no matter where we are in this life, God is still worthy of our praise. It tells us in Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens, praise Him for His mighty deeds, praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound, praise Him with lute and harp, praise Him with tambourine and dance, praise Him with strings and pipe, praise Him with sounding cymbals, praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. And verse 6, and this is what this song is based on, let everything that has breath praise the Lord praise the Lord. And that's what we want to do today is praise Him with our whole being. So let's stand. Let's worship Him. Let's enjoy the Lord as we worship. Oh 
one of those songs I know in my own life personally that is such a prayer song and I think so many times when we say the name of Jesus we forget how powerful our God really is and so as we sing this there may be people that God brings to your mind whether it's family members whether it's friends whether it's neighbors that you simply want to be praying for even as you sing this song, because there is power that's in the name of Jesus Christ. Your name is power. 
seated. Choir's gonna going back to their seats, but let's continue to pray. Lift up those names that you've been lifting. Can we pray together? Can we pray for those folks in our, our midst and in our families that are suffering and struggling? Please lift up little baby Camille, Kim Bowling and Jonathan Bowling's granddaughter, Landon and this little baby girl has had so many problems and she's some serious health, heart problems now. Would you lift her up? Camille. Frank Morrison and Leon Black and others in our church are dealing with cancer. Joe Smith is dealing with some heart issues. Larry Blair had an episode this morning during the first service and with his heart. We, we need prayers. Father, I thank you that we can come before you and know that you are all-powerful. We know that your ways are different than ours, and there are times we ask for things not knowing the full ramifications of it. So we trust you with the answer. We trust you with the way that you choose to do things. But we do ask for healing. We know that you can, and oftentimes you you miraculously heal. Sometimes you heal through medicine and doctors, and we know sometimes you heal ultimately by taking us home. We, we trust you with the answer. But we lift up our family members and those who are struggling. And then we lift up the, the prodigal in our families that are walked, have walked away from you. Those in our families who are lost. We ask God that you would draw them to yourself, that they'd be saved. We pray for those even in this room who they're just very close to drifting away. I thank you that they're here, and I pray that you would warm their heart today with your love. You know every need in this room and every need in the in the houses where, where people are watching us even now, you know our needs. We lift them to you. And we ask for you to move. God, we need to hear from you today, and we thank you for your word. We confess that your word is true, every bit of it. These are letters from heaven. Paul wrote them, but your spirit led his pen and guided him as he wrote down these words. And so we ask that you would teach us from your word, that you'd speak to us. Help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're coming to a new chapter today. We'll look at the first five verses. And those verses will be on the screen, but I want to back up to verse 27 and begin reading there. So if you have your Bibles, um, if you will turn there, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, that's our text. We're going to begin reading in chapter 1, verse 27. If you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading and the preaching of God's Word. 
Wasn't it good to have the choir up there today? Amen. I can't clap on beat, okay? Um, if you've ever seen the Seinfeld episode of Elaine trying to dance, um, I got about that much rhythm, unless someone's clapping in front of me. And so it's, if nothing else, if y'all don't sing every week, we just get a clapper up here, um, a minister of rhythm. We, I can't keep up with Prince and the drum cake. I tried to follow him, but I can't keep up. So it was good. Thank y'all. What a great, great, great songs we sing today. Verse 27, to them, that's the saints in verse 26, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, that's Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. It's good to see all of you here. And I just want to remind you that as we turn to the second chapter, it's important to remember Paul didn't write in chapter and verse. So when they received the letter on parchment paper, they just received one long letter. We've since divided it by chapter and verse to make it a little easier. It's a lot easier for me to say turn to Colossians chapter 2 than it is to say turn to where it says this, okay? So, so we, what I'm trying to say is everything Paul says in verse 1 is connected to what he said in the last 20 plus verses, almost 30 verses in chapter 1. It's interesting. Let me show you what Paul's doing. Look in your Bibles and go back to chapter 1 verse 19. I'm just going to do it in the ESV, but if you'll follow along several verses, I want you to see how Paul connects it. In verse 19, it's for in him. In verse 21, he says, and you. In verse 24, he says, now. In verse 27, to them. And then he says in 28, him we proclaim. Verse 29, for this I toil. And then in chapter 2, for I want you to know. Verse 2, that their hearts in whom, verse 3, are hidden. I say this in verse 4. I say this in order. Verse 5, 4. It's all connected. And Paul's keeping this line of thought going. So we have to try to keep this together and see how it flows. Paul's in prison. And what we're learning is, is that he hears about false teachers who have come in and they're beginning to disturb the church. 
It happened often in the New Testament. There were Judaizers who came in and tried to teach them the law. There were other mystical teachers that came in and tried to teach them the deeper things. But, but Paul, Paul hears that there are those who are confused in the church, and he does two things. And I want you to see this, and, and I'm going to show you why one, one's implied, the other is, 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 is stated very clearly. He prays. He prays for them. We know that in chapter 1, but I think we also see this in chapter 2. He prays for them, and then he writes letters. He writes letters. We have one of those letters. We know from the end of chapter 4 that he says, make sure this letter is read in Laodicea. And then he said, and make sure you read the letter I wrote to them. Now, we don't have the letter that he wrote to the Laodiceans, but we do have the letter that he wrote to the Colossians. And so Paul prays. And Paul writes letters, and understand that when Paul writes the letters that he writes, he's not just writing like, I might write Keith. I might write Keith like I did this week, a text, and say, happy birthday, knucklehead. I might do that. You ought to hear what he calls me. But, uh, but uh, I may do that, but, but that's not inspired. It's just me. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, it was inspired. What Paul is writing is not just his words. Paul is writing the very words of God to them. So when we open up this book, we're reading, even though they're black letters, we're reading red letters because these are all the words of Jesus. He's writing to them through apostolic authority. He writes the word of God. So we, when we come to those who are being discouraged, when we come to those who, who are being pulled away, we can learn from Paul. First, we can pray. We'll see this more in just a moment. But secondly, while we can't write letters like Paul wrote, we can't write the Word of God, we can teach the letters that the apostles wrote. We can bring them to the Gospels of John and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We can bring them to, to the letters of, of John. We can bring them to the letters of Peter. We can bring them to the letters of Paul. We can teach them looking at Jude and James and other books. We can, we can teach what the Word of God says. In chapter 1, verse 29, Paul said, for this I toil. Now look at this verse, struggling with all his energy. Remember, we looked at that word, struggling, and, and that word in, in, is a verb form of the word we get, the word in English, agonizing. He says, I'm agonizing for you. But what's interesting, when you come down to verse 2, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle, that's the noun form. So he's struggling in the verb in verse 29. He's, he's, he's a struggle in verse 1. It's all connected. He's, he's, he's struggling. He's agonizing. And he's, he's agonizing over three groups of people we see in verse 1. If you'll look at it, he's, he's agonizing over them, for I want you to know. He's talking about the church in Colossian, Colossae. But he's also agonizing over the church in Laodicea. And then he says, and I'm also agonizing for all who have not seen me face to face. That would include the church in Colossae. They've not seen Paul, but he's praying for them. He's struggling for people he's never seen. And that's what we see, first of all, is Paul's struggle. So look at that in verse 1. I want you to know how, how I'm struggling, how great of a struggle. We know a lot about Paul's struggles, don't we? We learn it in the Corinthian letters, especially Paul was, he, he, he was in prison when he wrote this letter and other times as well. Paul was, was in, um, in shipwrecks. He was stoned and left for dead. 
He was beaten with rods, almost to the point of death. He was flogged and left for dead. He had said, I've been without. He'd faced the elements. He'd faced riots, mobs, thorns in the flesh. And he says, maybe the hardest thing of all, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. He says, I faced the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. There's a struggle. His anxiety, his, he, he's praying, he's worried about those churches that, that the lead, false teacher would come in and steal away the truth that had been taught. That they would, as he said in Galatians, abandon the gospel that they heard. That they would abandon grace and turn to works. How is he struggling for them specifically? That's a question we have to ask when we look at this. How great a struggle. How is he struggling for them? Again, he's in prison, but, but maybe we get a clue to this if you turn over to chapter 4 for a moment. Colossians chapter 4. You remember I told you in the, in the, um, in the beginning that Epaphras most likely heard the gospel in Ephesus when Paul was preaching, and he brought the gospel home. And, and he's most likely the one who planted this church. And he's gone back to tell Paul what's going on. And Paul's writing the letter because of Epaphras. But look what he says in verse 12. Epaphras, who's one of you. He's, he's now with Paul in prison. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Look at this. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Same word, struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and full assured, fully assured in all the will of God. That's what he's talking about over here in chapter 2 and chapter 1, that we'd be mature and, and assured. And, and so I think when we look at Paul and we see Paul struggle in chapter 2, verse 1, what he's doing is he's struggling with them in prayer. He's struggling in prayer. Now, I know if you're like me, we struggle to pray, okay? We struggle to pray. But Paul's struggling in prayer. He's agonizing in prayer, agonizing and straining in prayer for the church at Colossae. He's praying for them because false teachers are coming after them. So I want to ask you, I know we struggle to pray, but, but do we struggle in prayer? Do we, do we pray for one another? How much time did you spend this week praying for the body of Christ? How much time did you spend praying for, for those inside this, this group and those inside your Sunday school class and those inside of your Bible studies and D groups and other groups? How much time did we spend? Do we spend praying for the church as a whole? Not just our church, but the global church. Are we praying for the church? Are we praying for our missionaries who are taking the gospel out? Not just at Christmas and Easter, but yearly, day by day. Do we pray for the persecuted church? Are we praying for those in China and those in Korea and those in other places in the world that are like in Nigeria that are being persecuted? Are we praying for them? There was a video released this week of Muslim extremists who chased down a Christian there in Nairobi, excuse me, in Nigeria, beat him and sliced his throat and killed him. Why? Because he's a Christian. Do we pray for people like that? We should. That's what Paul did. We, we pray. And, and when you look at it, you say, well, what's the purpose of Paul's prayer? Look at Paul's purpose. We see his prayer, but look at his purpose. It, it's really given to us in verse 2. Look what he says. He, he says, that. 
This is what I'm praying for. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. I'm praying that you may be encouraged, that, that you may be knit together. Encouragement in love, that's what he's praying for. He, he's praying that they'll reach all the full assurance and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul's praying, he's struggling that they would have full assurance in Christ. In other words, they wouldn't chase after the mysticism of the false teachers who are saying, hey, you, you need to leave that behind now and embrace some of this. He's saying, I'm praying that you'll have full assurance in Christ and that you'll have understanding of God's word and his gospel. Now, let's just tap the brake for a moment and remember what Paul said so far. In verse 25, he suffers to make the word of God fully known. In verse 29, he toils and he struggles. He agonizes to present everyone mature in Christ. And here, he struggles that they will reach full assurance and knowledge. You see it? Paul devotes his entire life to being a disciple who makes disciples. Now, I know I say that a lot. But that's what Paul is doing. He's agonizing to make sure that people who have, have not heard can hear and the people who have believed will grow in their faith. And he's writing their letters, these letters to them because he can't go and preach to them. So he's writing letters so they can learn how to be in Christ. Now, how do we struggle like that? How do we struggle in, in prayer and teaching? How do we make disciples? Paul prayed, he wrote letters. We pray, we take his letters and, and we teach the rest of the Bible and, and, and we try to make it fully known. But what do we do? Well, look at Paul's means. So you see his prayer, you see his purpose, but look at his means. How does he do that? Look at verse two, two ideas. He, he does it through encouragement that their hearts may be encouraged. How do you encourage people? You know, we, we are such a fast-paced people that if someone's struggling, if someone is, 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 is maybe they're sick or maybe, maybe someone else they know is sick or, or maybe they're losing someone or maybe they, they've got a child that's not walking in the gospel anymore or, or something's going on. Maybe they're going through marital problems and, and we walk up to them on Sunday and tap them on the back and say, hey, I'm praying for you. You can do it. That's not the kind of encouragement Paul's talking about. That's not really encouragement. Okay? The type of encouragement that Paul's talking about comes from that word. He, he uses the word encouragement, and when he uses it, he uses the same word back in John's gospel. Jesus uses it to describe the Holy Spirit when he's our comforter. You see, that word comforter is a word that means to come alongside someone. And so what Paul says is when he talks about their hearts may be encouraged, he says, I'm coming alongside you. I'm going to do what's necessary coming alongside of you to encourage you and to get you out of this rut. I see you straying. I'm going to come alongside and bring you back. I see that you've been away for a while. I'm going to come alongside you and work with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to come with you and live with you. I'm going to live by you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you back where you need to be in the things of God. That's church. And that's hard work, and none of us want to do it. 
We need to come along people and strengthen them and build them up and touch what Douglas Moo called the deepest part of our being. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. Now, when we think of hearts, we, we think of, of emotion. Oh, my, my heart started, you know, when I first saw Kim, or even now when Kim's up there leading worship, I mean, we got the best-looking worship leader in the world, right? And so my heart is kind of, yeah, that's my wife, yeah. And, um, but that's not the heart that he's talking about. It's okay for me to say that, okay? It's okay for you to say she's the best-looking worship leader too, but be careful, guys. Um, be careful. Um, the Bible speaks of the heart, not so much as the seed of emotion. She's turning red down there. That's funny. Not so much as the, the seed of emotion. It's the center of your being. So when the Bible talks about your heart, it's the center of who you are, how you think, how you feel, how you act, how you live. It's the center of everything about you. It's more like we use the word soul sometimes. And so he says that your hearts may be encouraged. He, he's, he's taking effort. He's taking time. He's toiling. Are we in that process? Are we doing it with our children? Are we doing it with our grandchildren? I'm reading a book right now about the de-churching of America since 2000. Over 40 million people in America have quit coming to church. Biggest move spiritually in the history of America. Downward, not upward. Are we encouraging those? The majority of those people who have walked away said they'd come back if they could just have a new friendship or somebody encourage them. Are we encouraging? Are we coming alongside those hundreds of people who are members of our church who no longer come? Who will come alongside them and disciple them, encourage their hearts? But there's another word he uses here. It's also the word love. Encourage and love. Notice how he says it, knit together in love. Knit together in love. Paul loved them enough to struggle for them and with them. Let me ask you, when you think about first, do you love the body of Christ here? Do you love the people that you worship with? Are you connected with them? Are you getting to know them? Do we love each other? Do we have a, do we have a place of priority? I don't mean coming to church to hear me preach. I mean coming to be with the body of Christ. Is that a priority in our life? Are we missing those who don't come? Do we place a priority <coughs> over Christ and everything else? Is Christ first? Is Christ the priority? One of the things that book says that so many people are leaving, they begin to leave when the internet took off. Just thought, parent. Began to find people who believed other things and began to stray away and nobody called them. Other thing is travel ball and things like that that pull them away from Sundays. And then before long, they're just away. And then they don't come back, like COVID. Away, and then just don't come back. We need to love one another enough to go and get them. Are we knit together? Listen to me. The Word of God must be the driving force of our life. The driving force of our life and our love must be the glue that holds us together. Sometimes love has to confront. Sometimes love. I, I don't love my child if I never discipline my child. 
Sometimes as a church, we have to discipline, but the Word of God is the driving force. I, I don't agree with everyone in this room, and y'all don't agree with me on everything. And that's okay. But you know what we've lost in America? Not just the church, but America as a whole. We have lost the ability to agree to disagree. Somehow we think that we've got to agree on everything politically to be friends. I had a guy tell me one time, he's a member of our church, about another church member. He said, we've got nothing in common. I pull for one team, he pulls for the other. I vote for one party, he votes for the other. What do we have to talk about? And I looked at him and I said, Jesus? <laughs> we, we don't have to agree on everything. But we can come together where we disagree and lovingly talk. Sometimes confront, but lovingly talk to one another and let the Word of God be our, our foundation. Let the Word of God drive so that we don't get into that conflict of me versus them. It's us. It's us. The Word's our standard. The standard is not what you hear on the network news. The standard is not what you hear on the radio talk show. The standard is not what someone who thinks that there's some political pundit is. The standard is the Word of God. And Jesus, who gave us the Word of God, we as a church need to be iron that sharpens iron. But one of the problems is that churches begin to use that iron to beat each other down. And people are just bailing. Paul's struggle had a purpose, full assurance and understanding. It had a means, encouragement, and love. What's his goal? Let's look at Paul's goal. And the knowledge of God's mystery, okay, coming in the end of verse 2, going into verse 3, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, see that? In whom are hidden all the treasures and the wisdom and the knowledge. You see that? Look at that. The driving force of our life is Jesus. The driving force, the focus of our discipleship, the focus of our worship, the focus of our Sunday schools, the focus of everything we do should be the person of Jesus. Jesus. Isn't that a novel idea that we who call ourselves followers of Christ, who come to a church built for His glory, would actually make Him the focus of what we do? He's the treasure. In Him is the treasure of knowledge and wisdom. Now, I'm afraid that what we're producing in America is a Christless Christianity. There are a lot of people in the world who say, in America, who say they believe what they believe. They just don't think they ought to come to church and worship with the body of Christ. And then when you think about it, where does Jesus play a role in your thoughts? Let me just meddle for a second, okay? Where does Jesus fit in the equation of your daily life? In the last 168 hours, how did Jesus impact the decisions you made? 
Where will Jesus and his teachings play a role in your vote? Where will Jesus play a role in how you spend your money? How you spend your time? How you think? What you read? What you watch? How we act and treat one another? Where's Jesus in that? The result of encouragement, the result of love is discipleship that leads to full assurance, that leads to fullest understanding, and that leads to the knowledge of Christ. We know him. The mystery that was once hidden is now revealed in Jesus. It's, it's what he said last week, Christ in us, the hope of glory. If you look at verses 2 and 3 side by side, they, they, one of them is very extensive, verse 2, and, and has a lot of words. Verse 3 is very straight to the point, but really they're parallel statements. When we look at, at discipleship, it leads to assurance and understanding and wisdom and knowledge, and we, we learn to know the facts. Here's where we're missing it today. We know the facts, but we don't apply it to our lives. So we know we're supposed to love people. We just bite their heads off. Love comes out of a relationship with Christ, and so does confrontation. confrontation. The riches of verse 2 are the treasures of verse 3. If both the riches and the treasures, it's Jesus. Jesus is the riches. Jesus is the treasure. Where you find Jesus, you have everything. That's easy for me to say, isn't it? Where you find, when you find Jesus, you find everything. Jesus said it's like this. It's like you're out in the field and you're plowing. And your plow hits something. And you stop thinking it's a rock and you begin to dig it up. But it's a great treasure chest full. Jesus says, you cover that chest up, you go back home, you sell everything you have, and you buy that field. Why? Because what's in that treasure chest is worth more than everything you have. That's why Jesus looked at the rich young ruler, and he said, if you really want to come, sell everything and give it to the poor and follow me, because I'm greater than your wealth. That's why Jesus tells us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him because he is the treasure that is supreme to everything else. If we know him, if we know the hope of glory, if we have the treasure of Jesus in us and know the treasure of being in him, if we know just how glorious he is, then we understand why our Chinese brothers right now are sitting in a prison being tortured, dancing Jesus. Because Jesus is greater than any freedom they can have on the outside. Do you want to be humbled? Sit down with a group of Chinese pastors who've been to prison. If we know Jesus, we will be willing to suffer like Paul is because he's the greatest treasure. What's behind all of this? What's, what's driving this? Well, that's the third thing is Paul's concern. Really, you might want to say Paul's reason for concern. 
You find it in verses 4 and 5, especially verse 4. They're saved. And here's the thing. Here's the thing I think that is, that is, it's like a virus that has infected our convention. Because this is the way most people think. Well, they're saved. They're going to heaven. Why worry? Just go on, Paul. Don't worry about the church in Colossae or Laodicea. They're saved. They're going to heaven. We got that nailed down. Don't worry about that, all that discipleship stuff. Don't suffer so much. But Paul knows false teachers are moving in, and he knows they're pulling them away from Jesus. And he knows that they're going to lose the best treasure of their life. I'm not saying you lose your salvation. I'm saying they're going to lose the joy, the, the fruit of the Spirit that comes from following him. The reason for his concern, he says, I say this, verse 4, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. We'll see more about their arguments throughout this letter. In verse 8, he talks about how they holding them captive by philosophy and empty deceit and human tradition. That's not all philosophy. It's their philosophy. He goes on in verse 18 and talk about what's pulling them away. But let me just hit it real quick. Let me just stop for a second. You just tune in. If I, could, if, I could, if I could just do what my daughters used to do and just grab your face and pull it right straight toward me, okay? Is there anything pulling you away from Jesus in your life? Is there anyone, a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, relationship at work? Is there somebody pulling you away from Jesus? Could it be a news network? I don't care if it's one side or the other. Could it be, could it be some preacher on the TV? Could it be some philosophy that's saying, just move on from all that basic stuff and let me take you to the deeper knowledge? Could it be... Could it be Christian nationalism? And then what I don't understand is after a while, we, and I guess it's because we went through it, could it be socialism and communism and all those thoughts that are starting to rise again? You know, Christian nationalism on one side and communism on the other side, they're all attempts to pull us away from Jesus. Jesus. And if you're sitting down and spending hour after hour, and I don't care which side of the network you're listening to, but if you're listening to hour after hour of people who claim to know all the truth, but there's no Jesus in it, you're being pulled away. Plausible arguments, fast talkers, claiming to have more knowledge than you have, and none of it's coming out of this book. Nothing's pointing at Jesus. Run. Run back to him. Verse 5 says, For though I am absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit. I'm with you, he said. When I mean it, the apostle himself says, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. I'm pulling for you. I'll tell you something better. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He says, I'm interceding for you. I'm with you. 
I'm praying for you. I'm pulling for you. And what is he praying? I'm, I'm praying, and he says, I'm rejoicing to see. Look at two words here. Your good order. We'll count that as one because there's one, order, one word in Greek. Your good order and the firmness of your faith. Good order and firmness. They're military terms. Good order is, is a picture of, of a military battalion, um, battalion or whatever it would be drawn up in battle. They're, they're there for everyone to see the force. And, and then the firmness is a military term. It's a solid front. It's a solid foundation. But I think Paul's already told us what he means by this. Your good order is that you're knit together in love. That your hearts are encouraged. The firmness is all the way back to chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. That you're holy, that you're blameless, that you're above reproach, that you're stable, that you're steadfast, that you're not shifting away from Jesus. What would it be like, let me just close with this. What would it be like if people in Pell City drove by this church and said, I don't know what it is, but those people love Jesus. What if someone sat across the street at the steakhouse, looked out the window and said, I don't know who they are, but they love Jesus and they show it by loving people. What if, and, and some of you are going to clue out for a second, but what if just for a second we weren't known as conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat? I don't mean you shouldn't be conservative. I don't mean you shouldn't have a political party, but I don't want to be known by that. I want to be known by Jesus. And I don't like either one of the parties. Makes you mad, don't come see me because you don't want to hear what I got to say. Now come see me. I don't like either one. There's one I like more than the other. What if, if we were just kingdom people living for our king with the king's manifesto. Read recently, a pastor was talking to another pastor, and that pastor had a bunch of political problems in his church. I don't mean church politics. I mean politics that we deal with every day. And he was talking to one of them. The pastor was talking to one of the church members. And he quoted from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. He quoted on loving your enemies. And you know what that man said? Where'd you get that liberal woke theology? <laughs> and he said, I'm quoting Jesus. And he said, it might have worked then, but it doesn't work now. Let me tell you something. If that doesn't work now, Let's close the door. Let's quit meeting. You can save some money, go buy some stuff and eat, drink, and be merry, and I'll find a new job. But that doesn't work. Because Jesus' kingdom is advancing. Now, I know what's going to happen. He said you ought to be liberal. Not what I said. He said, you ought to just vote for anybody. Not what I said. I'll sum it up this way. Kim and I's niece, Allie, she's a senior in high school this year. Star soccer player. Phenomenal. 
She's playing on these pre-Olympic teams. She's playing in all these leagues and scholarships are coming. Allie's eat, breeds, breeds and drinks soccer. Nothing wrong with that. She said, well, she's really good. She goes on a mission trip this summer and she comes back. God changed her heart. And the senior albums, annuals came out and everybody's signing the annual. Like they, I don't know, I guess I'm finding out they still do that and they're signing everything and, and all of them are talking about her soccer. Soccer, 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 soccer. And Allie came home. She looked at her mom and dad. She said, I'm more than soccer. I want to be known for following Jesus and not for playing soccer. Now, Allie did something pretty radical. She felt a call for missions, and she gave up her travel teams. Not, her parents didn't ask her to. She, and you don't have to do this. She just did. She still played her senior year in soccer, but... She gave it up. She said, I'm, that's not who I am. My identity, identity is found in Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. That we know Jesus and love Jesus and we're known as Jesus' people. That's what we're called to do. Amen? I wonder if you'd bow your heads for a moment. Kim's going to come and we're going to sing. C.S. Lewis said, and we're going to sing this song in a moment, but he says, when you have Christ in everything, you have no more than the person who has only Christ. The person of Jesus, Savior, Lord, he's God, he's King. That's who I bow my knee to. And that's who we should follow. And he should drive everything we do. So let me ask you today. Is there someone in your life pulling you away from Jesus? Is there something pulling you away from Jesus? Be careful. Run back to him. that relationship in order we've said it before you may need to turn it off open up the Bible and let the Bible pour it in your life what's God calling you to do is there someone in your life that you need to encourage just a phone call just a note that you write mail a text a visit is there someone you just need to go sit with? Thank you for the way you minister to people. Dr. Bill and you called and told me when Linda's surgery, and he said, listen, your, the church has provided so much for us. Thank you for that. Thank you for the way you minister to people. But let's keep doing that, not just physically, but spiritually. In our prayers. Moms and prayers can get together with Hannah and their group and pray for their children in schools. Pray as you're going to work, just pouring into people. What's God calling you to do?
be more like him, to be filled with him, filled with his fruit. Is there a relationship that's not where it ought to be? And you're the reason it's not where it ought to be? Maybe you need to stop and go back. Like Jesus said, leave your offering there and go get right. Then come offer your offering. Father, I think I've done what you want me to do. I know you took a lot out of the sermon that I wanted to say and you wouldn't let me say it. I know you added things that I didn't want to say. I think I've done what you wanted me to do today. Now it's for me to practice it and for us to practice it together. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be at the front here. If you need me, I'll be right there. If you just want to come and pray, there are several places for you to kneel and come and pray. Let's stand together as we sing. Thank you. 
this morning in the first service as I was preaching, I began to notice people were looking and someone had basically passed out in the service. Blood pressure went down and they passed out. And immediately there was a member in need and all the medical personnel began to surround. And then they got other people to help get him because they found out that he was okay enough to take it out. So they brought him out of the service. Big Chad Tidwell is always good for that. He got him out of the service. But they then called 911 and did all that. And you see the body of Christ pictured there. When there's a need, you surround them. You don't overwhelm them, but you overwhelm them with grace and love and you let them know you miss them. Some of them went in Sunday school today that's normally there. You call them. They're not in worship, and they're normally there. You call them and let them know you missed them. And then there's also a lesson that sometimes you're in a situation where you need some help. It's okay to go see counselors, Christian counselors who can help you. It's okay to go and see other people, psychiatrists and others, who who can help you through the problems you're having. Sometimes you need that. That's why they're gifted, and that's why they do what they do. Let us help you in any way we can. If you need anything as a church, see us. This past week, two different folks came, a a lady and and a couple came to see me about joining our church, and and we sat down and talked. And if you'd like to join our church, just call Priscilla and set up a time, and and, and, and we'll meet. And I'd love to talk to you about it and see what's involved in that. So please, just do it. Let's raise the lights if you don't mind. And, And I also love the fact the way our students pray for one another parents you do it too but they really it's because they know the need they know each other they love each other when they see someone they surround them and pray for them so they set the example for us there ladies we are privileged to be hosting kelly mentor mentor um is it mentor mentor Mentor. i made fun of kim saying that mentor the other day and so now i can't say her name right mentor she's a phenomenal teacher 40 or 50 of you ladies are taking the class right now She's going to be here. And we're selling tickets, and we start today. They go online. We've got to do it online this year. And um, they are $45. Listen, if you have a problem with that, let me know, and we'll make sure we help you get a ticket. But it's $45. It covers all the costs for what we need for her and all the things that are going on. We're going to have 500 tickets. That's all we have for sale. That's all we can get in this room. And we're going to open it to the church up to a certain point. Don't share the link yet because it's open to the church first so that all of you can sign up. And then as soon as you, um, you, how many, two weeks? After two weeks, we're going to open it to the public. Kim's already getting calls from people out of state who want to come because it's already on her site. Outside in the lobby, there's some ladies who, if you need help, can help you to get that and do it. And, um, and it would be a, it's a great, great night. Two nights, um, Friday night and Saturday, Saturday morning. Saturday morning. And, um, so in, did I miss anything? I did it. I did it right. You did. All right. You did. I said everything I was supposed to say. You did good. Okay. Hey, thank y'all for being there. Our ushers will be at the door. Okay. We give to what we love. And so every penny we try to spend wisely. And we'll